1: Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, I sat down with Michael Batiste, We get into his 31-year journey in the Elk Woods, Elk Calling Academy, and Gear Overruns. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Michael Batiste of the Elk Calling Academy. Michael, I appreciate you jumping on with me, man, and giving us some of your outdoor experience and hunting life. Thank you.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm honored, and thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, you kind of, to be honest, you invited yourself a little bit, and uh, <laughs> I jumped on the opportunity. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I believe I did make a make a comment that maybe one day I'd be big enough to be a guest in the podcast.
1: Yeah, so. I about uh, uh, freaked out, man. I'm not going to even uh, pull any punches with that one. I said, "Oh my god." <laughs> what was funny is, and and you know, I so I usually record on Wednesday nights. It's one of the days of the week. Uh I'm doing like three recordings a week. And uh, that night I was like, oh man, I don't, you know, I don't have anything. I can finally catch a live and uh, sat on and I'm sitting here and I'm watching a live and man, I was like, I I was blown back, man. It was awesome. (laughs) I was like, yeah. (laughs) That was so cool. You know, and what's funny
2: is I, I did not even know, that, you know, you were on there, um, you know, when I had talked about your podcast or, or mentioned, you know, anything. And then I saw a comment roll through from you and I was like, Oh shoot.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. My comment you know, was well, very mild.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. It's, it's one of those things, you know, always, always be careful when you're going to talk about someone. Cause you never, you never know, know if they're actually
1: there yeah. listening. That was pretty, it was pretty cool, man. <laughs> it was funny. My wife, that and and I don't know how I'm going to sound right now, but my wife was looking at me going, what's wrong with you? <laughs> The Batiste. <laughs> so, so that that's was, awesome yeah it was, that's that awesome. was really cool man I appreciate it so uh yeah. let's jump into it man why don't you give uh the folks that that may not know um and I'll scratch my head on that one who you are and uh okay give us a little background
2: so basically my name is Michael Batiste <laughs> I own Elk Calling Academy um I actually started Elk calling academy uh, just a little over a year and a half ago, um, you know, and the academy is basically designed to help people learn not just the calling aspect of elk hunting, but the hunting, you know, strategies and approaches. And um, you know, I've I've been extremely fortunate. Uh, you know, this is going to be my 31st year of of chasing elk with a bow, and I've just enjoyed tremendous success all on you know public land and and it's just a way because I remember when I started there wasn't a lot of resources out there Um, you know the VHS tapes and all that were just really starting to to come around and so really your classroom was the woods you know each, each each fall and so I've I've been in the hunting industry for God, 15 years. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is uh, Rocky Mountain hunting calls used to be called bugling, bugling bull game calls. Uh, I was a pro staff and pro staff director and Rocky's right hand man with that company for 10 years. Um, and in fact, th- there's still people that know me as part of that company. And they're shocked when they find out that I left that company. And I'm like, um, I resigned from them like five, six years ago. So, so sometimes you think that the hunting industry is a fast paced world, but maybe information sometimes isn't as fast as we think it is within that, within that realm. So, so no, just a, a, you know, family man. Uh, I'm married, uh, between my wife and I and in previous marriages, we have six kids, you know, with hers, mine and ours. And, um, just love spending time in the outdoors, love spending time with my family, and a huge, huge passion is elk hunting.
1: So why don't you give us a little bit of that hunting, man, that 31 years chasing elk. I'm a, I'm a greenie, man, and I'm a elk calling academy student, if you will. Um, you know, last year was my first year and been hunting for 20, and there's just something... There's just something about elk, man, and I know I don't have to tell you that after 31 years. So why don't you just give us give us some background on that and what draws you to them and keeps you going out there chasing them?
2: So you know, growing up, my my stepdad was uh, a bird hunter, a pheasant hunter, and that was really. I, I mean, I always had a passion for the outdoors because my grandfather was an outdoorsman, and. I never had the opportunity to hunt with them, but I went fishing with my grandfather a ton and just valued that time. And so I think because of, you know, the opportunity to, you know, go go bird hunting, you know, with my stepdad, that kind of sparked that interest. And plus, you know, I, I grew up in Hermiston, Oregon, which is a smaller, you know, farming community that, I mean, it's, it's outdoors. I mean, there's a lot of hunting right there. The blue mountains are, you know, really close by, and and so a lot of the friends that I had and I grew up with, you know, they were outdoorsmen as well, and so we all just started hunting together. Um, you know, going out on the weekends and whenever we didn't have sporting events. But, um, I had two science teachers in high school that were uh, archery guys, and it was funny because one of them was a trad guy, and the other guy was a compound guy, and, and I used to just. <clears throat> almost sit in between them and stir the pot and watch them kind of, you know, <laughs> jot back and forth about, you know, primitive caveman and oh look, you have training wheels and and all this stuff. And uh, God, when I was fourteen or fifteen, I bought my first bow from Mr. Kodama, the biology teacher. And it was a it was a Fredbear 45 pound takedown recurve. And what's funny is is they're in Hermiston. The archery shop at that time was also a barber shop. It was Adrian's Barber and Archery. <laughs> so, you know, you could you could go in and 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 get your hair cut and buy a few arrows on the way out and you know off you off you go. And and so I I did that and you know bought some arrows and started flinging in the backyard. And well, my mom was a a you know cat person. And so unfortunately when you live just out in the country a little bit, you get wild cats and feral cats and all that kind of stuff. And so that's where I really started practicing my stalking on feral cats, which, I mean, you even sneeze from 200 yards away and they're, they're running for the, they are, they are. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, started in the, in the backyard there and just work on stalking those guys, see how close I could get to them. And then when I was, 18, um, I upgraded from the old Fredbear recurb to a Fredbear whitetail 2 compound, which I still shot fingers. I still shot instinctive. And I had a couple of friends that, you know, elk hunted with a bow and listened to them, and, and it just sounded so cool. And so I talked to my uncle, and he had this this little call it was, it was, he made it out of a pill box and it had, um, it's, it's funny. He took a pill box and a condom and cut the condom up and stretched it through this pill box. But you could, you could squeeze one end of it and it would give the higher pitch almost like, um, the cow talk that ELK has. And so I, uh, Put on my military BDUs. I did my military style face paint. I put my boonie hat on, threw the bow in the truck, and just drove up to the mountains. No clue where I was going, what I was doing, but I had a bow, I had arrows, and I had this little pillbox, and I start walking down the the, the mountain road there, and I could see you know some tracks and stuff moving across the road, and and I had been rifle hunting for deer for a couple of times. So I had been out and recognized signs and stuff, but here's this wet spot in the middle of the road. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And I pick up a rock and smell it and has this real musky smell. And I'm like, what is that? (laughs) And something just told me, you know, Hey, just blow on this pillbox," And it it probably sounded like a mad Russian cow. Yeah. You know, really sharp. And, but all of a sudden this bull bugles. And I'm like, what? And, and I'm still kind of standing in the middle of the road, just kind of gather all this in. And so I kind of start walking that direction and blow on that peel box again. And man, he bugles again, but he's a lot closer. And so I knock an arrow, and all of a sudden I look up, and here comes this bull just trotting my direction. And I'm looking at the size of him and I'm looking at the size of the antlers. And I look down at this little tiny bow and arrow and I look back about how big he is and how that rack is and back down at the bow. And by this time, I'm shaking so bad. I'm sure that, you know, California was thinking there was an earthquake going on. (laughs) (laughs) So, but he just, he, he paced back and forth and bugled a few times. And I was, I was the adrenaline level was so high. I was just frozen. You know, you, you you always hear people in, in fear situations or this or that, that they're adrenaline and they just get frozen. And that's, that's how I was. I just, you know, watching this dude and he finally turns and trots back and my emotions just kind of calm down a little bit. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing I have ever experienced. Follow the direction he went. Blew on that pillbox one more time and the bugle that he let go shook me to the core. And he came running in and I managed to keep my composure to draw and execute that long shot at 14 yards and watch him run about 75 yards over and follow fall over and tip right there. And I was like, what just happened? Wow. wow. <laughs> and so I, I I went over and and you know kind of gathered my wits about me and and you know gutted the elk and and I was like hey this isn't too bad because I'm only about 300 yards or so from the from the road so I'll just grab a hold of these antlers and drag this out to the road and then get my truck and I gave the first tug and he didn't even move didn't budge. No. And all of a sudden I'm scratching my head and I didn't have a pack frame. I had a little fanny pack with me with some snacks and my knives and stuff. And so I'm like, we gotta, we gotta go smaller pieces. And I I'm sure it looked like a crime scene by the time I was done hacking that thing up, but I would, I would cut a piece of it off and and walk to the truck and throw it in the truck and then walk back and cut another piece off and walk to the truck. And it, uh, but all in all, that 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 first hunt um, from leaving the truck to the arrow in that bull was a whopping 46 minutes. Oh my goodness, man. And I was just, I was hooked from that point on. And you know, it was so funny because I, uh, I was hunting up outside of the toll gate area and I get in the truck and I drive to toll gate and stopped in there to get something to drink. And the little store there at Tollgate used to have this little room that was dedicated to Bigfoot and they have this map where they put pins of Bigfoot sightings. And I go up and look at the map and this Canyon that I was in has had more Bigfoot sightings in Eastern Oregon than any place else. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, I, I don't know if I'm really going to make a return trip back to this place.
1: That's crazy, man. I mean, (laughs) to go in on your, you know, with a, you're blowing minds right now.
2: (laughs) Well, and, and part of it too, I mean, you know, I kind of need to back up because like I said, my, my grandfather was a big time, you know, hunter. So I did have that advantage to have the ability to sit down and really talk to him. And, you know, he explained, you know, Southern side of the mountain and Northern side of the mountain and bedding areas and, you know, likely, you know, where to find elk and, and pull out a map, you know, kind of, kind of look for this, this and this, and you check these three things off. And that's, that's an area where you want to start. And then you can branch out from, from there. So. So you had a little bit of
1: a starting point.
2: Yeah, but to say that it was pure dumb luck is is really the best explanation. Yeah,
1: you know, for it, a pillbox so, and a condom, man. <laughs>
2: yeah, so pillbox and a condom and a forty six minute uh, forty six minute hunt. So yeah, yeah, and it's it's just kind of you know evolved, and and I moved here to Idaho. God, I want to say ninety two or 93. And then in 95, I got kind of hooked up with a group of guys that were pretty passionate about bow hunting and and specifically bow hunting for elk. And, um, I went with them the first year and that was it. Then, then the fire was lit to really understand and, and figure out what we're, what we're chasing. Cause I still didn't even use a diaphragm at that time. So, um, it was open read cow calls and external read bugles. And so uh, that started, I, started that.
1: That explains a lot to me though. Cause one, you know, you and I had shook hands in, in Utah. Um, and that, and the conversation that we had and we were talking about ECA and the mm-hmm. way that you sit down and go through the tutorials, if you will, um, the explanations that you're given and how in depth you get, but that hearing that explains, you know, to me, that's okay. Michael is his grandfather explaining, you know, why you're on that uh, North side or that South side of the mountain. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a, I see a huge connection in that. um, Just hearing that story, man.
2: Yeah. Cause I mean, even, you know, even when I was in college in Le Grand and, and you know, like if it was out on an elk hunt or out on a deer hunt or something. And, and I mean, that's, that's one great thing about LeGrand. I mean, you step out your front door, you get in your truck, you drive, you know, 30 minutes and you know, you're in a place that you can hunt. And so you're, you're back home each night. And so I would have the ability to pick up the phone and call him and say, Hey, you know, I, I saw this, this, or this, or heard this, or, you know, this. And, and, my grandfather would give enough information to get you headed in the right direction, but also leave part of that open for you to figure it out on your own, Mm -hmm. which is hugely important. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you have to earn it yourself and figure it out yourself, it means so much more. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, give us a little bit, man. Of the, I don't know how you could top that story at this point, <laughs> <laughs> um, outside of the class of bulls you're chasing, but give us a little bit, man, and tell us about uh, the 2018 season, your highs and lows and how that season went for you.
2: Man, it, it started off like, like gangbusters and, and cause you know, you've, you've, you've been on a few of the Wapiti Wednesday Q and A's or you've, you've listened to them and, you know, I'm i a pretty analytical person to where, um, you know, I'll, I'll pull up Google and I'll type in autumn equinox. I'll open up another page with moon calendar for September. I'll open up another one with moon rise and moon set times. And then I open up farmer's almanac or some sort of winter forecast. And I'll take a look at all those to kind of get an idea of how the season's going to go or when I think the peak rut is going to hit. So 2018, I mean, I was looking at it going, okay, man, you know, the autumn equinox is here, the moon's doing this. We're going to have, you know, fairly dark nights. Forecast is showing normal winter for, you know, Western Idaho. This is going to be a great year. And we go out that first weekend and I mean, just that first weekend alone, I mean, we got into 16 different bowls and, and, we had 12 of those bulls bugling and we were just jacked. We were like, man, what a great start to the season. And, and I mean, the very first morning, an hour after first light, and I have the top two bulls on our hit list at 10 yards and 18 yards from one of my hunting partners. So, I mean, how much better can a season really start? And, you know, no, no tags were punched that weekend. And so we went home for a couple of days, came back up and all of a sudden there are just people everywhere. I, I I mean, we, you know, we saw a few the first weekend, but now we're rolling in and, and I mean, it's just people everywhere. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And so we go into, you know, the same place that we did the first weekend and there's nothing. It's like, man, where did these, where did these elk go? And then all of a sudden we hear another group come in right behind us and another group from on top of us. And I'm like, what? So we, we backed out and uh, went back to the truck and back to camp. And I said, okay, let's, let's, let's split up. You, you young guys go take, cause we have, we have an area that has two trails on the mountain there's a lower trail through the bottom and then there's a mid mountain trail and told the young guys hey you guys go hit the mid mountain trail and Bryce and I are going to take the the lower trail Bryce has been hunting with me for several years now and it's funny because they were like Haha, us young bucks are going to show you old farts how it's done and of course and I kind of snickered and I'm like do you understand how much elk knowledge there is right here between these two old farts and so <laughs> So, you know, Bryce and I start heading down that low, lower trail the next morning and, and about two and a half miles in, we get into three bulls and about an hour, hour and a half after that, I've got an arrow into pitchfork and then Bryce and I are spending the rest of the day packing out, wishing that we had the young ones with us still. <laughs> so, but it's, it's funny cause we, we got that first trip out and we ran into these two guys in the rig. And, and it's funny because sitting there talking to him and then all of a sudden one of them goes, are, are you Michael from elk calling Academy? And I said, yeah. And he goes, dude, I watch your show every week. So it was an elk calling Academy guy. Nice. But I just asked him, I said, you know, I said, how did you guys pick this spot? Cause if, if really, if somebody was to open a map or look at a map, this would not be a spot that they would choose. And he goes, oh, well, we've got a, we've got a buddy that lives down in such and such town. And and he told us, you know, start here. If nothing's here, then go there and go there. And I was like, oh, okay. So inside help, leave them, start driving to camp. And we come across another truck again with out of state plates and start chit chatting to them. And they are like, oh yeah, we called fish and game. And they told us the elk in this area are over objective. And they gave us road numbers and where to camp and names of trails to walk in and hunt. And I'm like, are you serious? because I had called the area biologist that summer to pick his brain, because I wanted to get an idea of bull to cow ratio and, and all that, and all he gave me was, well, when we fly the area, these are the numbers that we see, and you know the elk bed about a third of the way down from the top of the ridge, and if you could find a bench there, you're gonna find elk. And I'm like, okay, so that's the information I get from a biologist, you call and you get road numbers and trail names and creek names and. That's the way it experience. works, man. So, so I think that's key. If if you're calling the fish and wildlife in your state to get information, say you're from out of state. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> That'll do it. I, you know, that, that's a rough one though. I think it's really state to state because I've called here in state and I've got zero and I've, you know, called a couple other states when I went to Wyoming, they were, beyond helpful um with pointing me in the right direction and where i should start looking and i had a a big grizzly avoidance um thing in my head when i was going up there but uh yeah that's crazy man that has to be something though to get out in the woods and and uh have guys running up and recognizing you and they're uh watching watching your your stuff there
2: it's it's extremely humbling, I'll tell you that it 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 really is. But so we uh, you know finished. We had to go back in the next morning and take the rest of that bull out, and then you know we kind of did a little bit of hunt on the way in. That kind of ended that weekend, and then the next trip up, I was in for like ten days with one of the other partners and. God, we spent a couple of days putting in 15, 16 miles and not even seeing an elk and hardly seeing any fresh sign, but we're still seeing people all over the place. And so I just told them, I said, that's, that's it. We're, uh, we're getting in the truck and we're going to go night bugling. And I think that first night, I mean, we probably did 60, 70 miles just trying to find elk and and get away from people. And we managed to do that. And so when Bryce and his son, Brandon got back up, I had gone back and tore down camp and was sitting in camp, eating a mountain house, waiting for them to get there. And as soon as they pulled in, all we had to do was hook onto the trailer and move that trailer 35 miles over to the new location. And the new location hadn't, hadn't hunted it, but, um, I had kind of studied on X a little bit. So I kind of got a good idea and, you know, we ended up finishing the season really strong getting into, you know, a lot of bulls, um, had opportunities, um, very easily could have been a hundred percent tagged out but because of one thing or another, uh, two of the tags didn't get punched. But still, even with the highs and lows, it still ended an extremely successful season.
1: And that's, I mean, just getting into them, man, and spending that time, it sounds kind of cliche, but spending that time in the woods with them and that interaction, uh, even without punching that tag, man, is, is amazing.
2: You know, part of it is... I, I'm extremely blessed with the guys that I hunt with. Cause like I said, Bryce and, and his son, Brandon have hunted with me, you know, several years, Eric and I have been friends for quite a few years and have really talked about, you know, strategies. But last year was the first time and that was so funny because this was the first time that Eric and I, um, had a chance to hunt together and his area got burned up. So he called me, you know, a little bit before season, And he says, hey, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I said, hey, here, here's some spots that I've been scouting on the map that I have highlighted. I'll let you know exactly where they are. Go over, go hunt them. And we'll compare notes at the end of the season. And if we saw more elk than you did, you come and join us next year. If you saw more elk than we did, we'll come join you. So it's almost like I was hunting one area, but scouting another Mm -hmm. at the same time. Right. Well, he ran into the same thing, you know, opening weekend, he actually had people pull right into his camp and walk through his camp to get to a trailhead to go hunt. And so he ended up coming over and joining us. And so this is the first time and that, that first, very first morning, um, I pulled in a bull from shoot 1200 yards out. And it, it, when it all happened, it, he didn't end up getting a shot. He, 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 he kind of moved instead of staying where I put him, he kind of moved and he moved to a place where thermals all of a sudden, you know, dipped down to where the bull was, but he came walking back and he's like, okay, I've heard you talk about this, but to be able to see it and experience it firsthand is, is just unreal. But, but I mean, just the laughter with those guys, uh, the shenanigans with Bryce and I, I mean, we're, Dumb and Dumber, the movie Dumb and Dumber <laughs> is a great way to explain us because of the shenanigans we do. Nice. Um, I mean, prime example, I, I've talked about hammocks. I, I, I always carry a parachute hammock in my pack so that when I break during day, because I, I leave camp in the dark, I come back in the dark. So I'm going to take naps on the mountainside. And I learned a while ago that a hammock is a lot nicer to take a nap in than laying down on rocks, pine cones, ants crawling in your ear, you know, all that stuff. But Bryce and I had taken our hammocks out for some reason in camp. And when we went out the next day, we forgot to throw them back in there. So we're up on the mountainside, and it's like, oh, my hammock's in camp. Oh, minus two. Brandon pulls his out with this little grin, like, sucks to yeah, sucks to be you guys. So he strings that out, climbs in. Bryce and I are fighting the ants, and all of a sudden we kind of hear this little half snoring from the hammock. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> And all I did was give Bryce a look and he knew exactly what I was thinking. We're on our feet and we're stocking up to that hammock and we get on both ends and one, two, three. On the count of three, we grab both ends of that hammock and it's it's rodeo time. You know, we're just shaking this hammock. You, What really makes this even better is Brandon is about 6'4", 260. And, and here we are just shaking this hammock rodeo and all of a sudden his head pops out like a gopher from a gopher hole in your backyard. Like, what are you doing? So, <laughs> so, but that's, that's, that just kind of shows when I'm extremely blessed to spend time on the mountain. So there's a lot of memories that get made out
1: there. Mm-hmm. Outside of, outside of punching that tag, man, it's so important
2: too. Absolutely. And and that's the cool thing too, is The definition of success, you know, so many, so many people to them, their definition of success is a punch tag. For us, it's, it's the journey, it's the sights, the sounds, the smells, the interaction with the elk. You know, if, if we get a, if we get an elk within 40 yards or less to us, that's a, a successful call in. Now, whether there was a shot opportunity or not, that's, that's a whole different game. But to us, that's still a successful hunt, we're still smiling from ear to ear and high-fiving and giggling, you know, like a bunch of school kids with a new
1: toy. And you miss so much when you're only focused on punching that tag, man. And I think we've all been there as hunters, right? Where you get so locked in and, you know, there's been years where I've been frustrated beyond belief and I go into the next year and it's just about punching that tag. You just miss so much when you're, when you're focused on that. When your when your eyes are open to it, man, it's uh it's an unbelievable time, you know, just on the trail, not even calling anything in or seeing anything.
2: Oh, abs- absolutely. I mean, just you know, watching that sliver of light crack across the the you know horizon and and hearing that forest come alive. And and, and like I said, the the sights and the smells and the sounds and everything that's kind of you know going on around you. It it just I don't know. To me, it's, it's, it's magical. And, and that's one thing that I absolutely love. And see, Bryce gives me a bad time too, because remember those tremors that I talked about with the very first bull, right? You still get I them? I still get them. Yeah, the but what's way. crazy. What's crazy is I get them. But as soon as I, I draw back and anchor, I'm rock solid. But then when the shot happens, Oh, they just, they, they, they will come back and he gives me such a bad time. And I keep telling him the day that that stops is the day that I quit hunting. As long as I continue to have that same adrenaline rush and that same excitement, man, I'm going to be back there year after year. I don't, I don't care if I have to get an all terrain, you know, chair to get me to a tree stand or whatever.
1: Die on the mountain, man. (laughs) Yeah. it, uh, there's nothing like it. I mean, and I'm the same way. I don't care how many, you know, I've only arrowed one deer or excuse me, one elk, but, uh, I don't care how many deer I sent an arrow or a bullet through man, even, even rifle hunting. I I'm the same way. So I have to pull, pull my eye away from the scope on the rifle and calm down. And you know, it's something else. I, I just absolutely love it. Absolutely love and, it, man.
2: And, and, you know, the, Hearing that first bugle of the season is is just something that still just every year just mesmerizes me. That you know it's it's the coolest to me. It's the coolest sound in the world, and I think a close second would be, you know, a tom crack and a gobble, first thing, and, and you know, from the tree in the spring, just that that sound and then the ability to in fact i was doing a lesson tonight and charles made a comment that you know he's he's been elk hunting for a little bit um he shot his first bull last year after we had done a few lessons but he made a comment he's like it's so cool you know watching you have a conversation with the elk and and it just kind of struck me for a minute and i'm like wow Cause I know there's a lot of times during the season when I'm back there calling and I just have this grin on my face and just having a ball when, when calling, but to hear him say that, that man, you're having a conversation. And I'm like, God, that is so cool that we have that opportunity that we can go out and have these conversations.
1: It's like no other animal. I mean, so I get the Turkey, I get the Turkey thing, right. <laughs> and I've been <run> a <laughs> Turkey a long time, but you know, with the elk man, you know, last year in Wyoming and uh, I pull up into camp and uh, get out and I start setting up and I hear that, I hear a bugle off, man. I don't know how far it was. And uh, to hear that, bu- I just started, I forgot about camp. I just started uh-huh. walking down the road, man. Like I just want to hear it, you know, I'm in mm-hmm. tennis shoes and a, a t-shirt and who cares? I just want to, it was just amazing to hear that thing bugling like that. And The the conversation part of it, I think when you realize that you're talking to them, that you have the ability to vocalize to them and then get a response is Mm -hmm. just, I mean, it's next level, man. That is, it's crazy. It is crazy. And I didn't realize it last year that that's what was going on, right? I went out and I can make a couple, uh, cow sounds and you know a location bugle I didn't realize that I should be having this conversation with them and when I was in the woods and and I hear them responding to each other and it was just like they're they're literally talking it is uh yeah it's something else turkey don't have nothing on the elk
2: <laughs> no, no, and and, and and you know you you, you kind of touched on it with you know the evolution and how we evolve as hunters, where you know we go from a new hunter to all of a sudden thirsting for success to where we're just you know harvesting everything that we can, and then it comes to how fast we can get it done, and then it goes to you know how big. Well, part of part of the progression that happens with calling elk, and, and you get so mesmerized by their sound that sometimes you almost get mesmerized to the point to where you stay where you are and continue to make sounds just so you can hear them bugling. And all of a sudden you snap back to reality and go, Oh, wait a minute, we're hunting. I, I need to get over there. But you, you know, you, you kind of get mesmerized into that, man, they're responding to what I'm doing and listening to the bugles and all these cool things that, you, you know, you kind of lose your place for a minute sometimes. Yeah. It's uh,
1: man. I I, yeah
0: I can't wait until <laughs> September man <laughs>
1: I kicked myself in the butt after last year going why did I wait so long to do this
2: yeah you know in my house my wife tells me that there's two seasons there's elk season and then there's preparing for elk season yeah so yeah that's that's it
1: so that's uh what like a, a 10 to 2 ratio 10 months to two months yes yes yeah um You
2: know, I'm extremely blessed with my family because, you know, with Elk Calling Academy, obviously, you know, every Wednesday night doing, you know, a live Q&A session, I'm doing lessons, I'm recording videos with product reviews or the instructional lessons for the Patreon page. So they hear a lot of elk. And last Friday, um, or I guess it was... Friday before this last, we, uh, I got all the hunting partners and our wives together for just to get everybody together. Cause like I said, we had some new people. Uh, the wives hadn't met everybody. So it's like, Hey, let's just get to get everybody together. And my wife makes the comment, (laughs) I hear bugles all year long. And then one of the other wives I do, too, certain times, but then on Wednesday nights, I hear Michael's voice coming through the computer. Another wife, yes, every Wednesday, Michael's voice is flowing through my house. And my wife goes, well, they have Wapiti Wednesday. Maybe us wives need a support group that we can call Wine Wednesday. So we know on Wednesdays the husbands are going to listen to Elk. We'll get together for wine. There you go. And I'm like, there you go. So I think last one, on last week's podcast, I mentioned that my wife has started a support group for wives of those <laughs> that are addicted to Wapiti Wednesday Q&A. Yeah,
1: too bad I'm far off, man, because I'd send my wife.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They just have to, they just have to come to, come to Boise to, uh, to, to get together for wine. And, and so last, last Wednesday when I was getting ready to come down and start broadcasting and I'm like, do you, do you have your uh, group put together? And she goes, Oh, I've already, I've already texted them and everybody has already sent pictures of their wine. And I was like, Oh, so this is not going to be a physical gathering this week.
1: <laughs> just a, <laughs> uh, a deal with it. Gathering right there with a couple glasses
2: exactly a couple of glasses comfort of their own home and texting in a location of the house where they where they can't hear my voice or anything that I'm doing that's funny, so man that's
1: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um so 31 years in the woods chasing elk man you never stop learning right and and you no. and you kind of mentioned it a few minutes ago um but what what is the importance of being a student of the game um, and, and never losing sight of there's always something to learn in the woods.
2: Well, because, you know, is the dynamics of the forest change, um, like here in Idaho, uh, Montana, Wyoming, with the reintroduction of the wolves, and now those wolves are starting to spread into Washington and uh, Oregon. The herd dynamics change and the behavior changes a little bit, and see here in Idaho, we have had several generations of elk that have grown up with the wolves. And so they have evolved how they communicate. I mean, they're still going to rut. I mean, that's how they breed. That's how they populate. That's how they continue to exist. That is still going to happen. But the vocalizations like before the wolves I mean, you could go into an area and you could take a reed in the biggest tube and you could be as loud as you wanted to be, and elk would come out on points and just ring canyons with bugles. Well, they do that now, and a lot of times you'll end up the only response you get is a pack of wolves howling because that's the dinner bell that's ringing. And so you constantly have to be, you know, studying their behaviors. And their vocalizations and what they're doing. Because, you know, that's one of the things that I talk about all the time is, is be aware of your surroundings. You know, pay attention to what the animals are doing around you. And if you really take the time to pay attention to all of that, you, you really kind of start to understand you know kind of kind of what's going on and one of the things that i really teach is if if you have the ability to watch elk whether it be in person or on youtube which is such a great tool but anytime you can watch elk and you have the ability to see their body language and listen to their vocalizations you can kind of tie that vocalization to their body language but then you can kind of relate that body language to human body language and then go, Oh man, I I, I kind of understand what's going on now. But the way the landscape has kind of changed, they're still doing those things, but now they have kind of a lower audible level and they, they really have, I mean, elk have such a broad vocalization that, some of them are a low note audible that, I mean, you have to be fairly close to even hear it. And so I think if you're, if you're not continuing to learn and you're not continuing to evolve, you know, that same thing year after year, after year, after year, after year, after year, it's not producing success. So why continue to do the same thing year after year, after year, after year? So it's it's almost kind of like the tony robbins analogy of definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result so,
1: so with the subtleties and so calling right so when i when uh-huh. i got into it i'm going to just reference myself since i'm i'm new to elk um when you get on youtube and things like that you that's that's really what you see right is it's uh-huh. just call 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 well right now you mentioned you know something and and really absorbing what's around you and and looking for those little subtleties um so what are we looking for what what's some of the the major subtleties you know that sounds weird um that that we should be looking for um when we're going in outside of that calling cuz call, like I said calling is it's right there right everybody wants to bugle you know send out uh-huh. that that big chuckle or that location bugle uh, mm-hmm. but there's a lot more going on in the woods man <laughs>
2: Well, and, and part of it is, is understanding, you know, the vocalization, because there's a lot of people that are walking around that think they're doing location bugles, when in reality, they're doing what's closer to a challenge bugle. So they're not walking around the woods saying hi, they're walking around the woods screaming F off to everybody that's around and they can't understand. It's it's almost like if you walk down the sidewalk of Main Street in your town and, and say F off to every male that you pass, I mean, eventually you're going to come across one that is having a really bad day and he's going to give that same salutation
1: back to you guys and the fight is on. Yeah, I live in LA, man. It's going to be more than uh, one of those guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) But also too is... You know, there's sometimes I I, I mean, you've you've been in the forest enough that, you know, that sometimes there's that day where it's just it's quiet. Man, there's there's no birds singing. There's no squirrels chirping. There's just there's nothing. It's it's just stone cold quiet. But. People will go into that quiet environment and then all of a sudden they're just me. Nothing else in the forest. Is doing that. So how is how is what you're doing natural? How is what you're doing elk-like? You know, are you acting like an actual elk? Are you behaving? Are you paying attention? Because I mean, these animals they they're out there surviving every day. They're very aware of their surroundings. They're very aware of, of what's going on. And generally, when something gets really quiet like that, that's usually a representation that there's a predator in the area. So, so it's, it's small little subtleties like that. Um, Another one that I learned over the years was barometric pressure. And if you get into an area with high barometric pressure that the air is real heavy and you bugle and your bugle doesn't go anywhere, there's no echo, there's no expansion. I almost 99.99999% of the time in that situation will never hear a bull bugle back. But you can go up over the top in the next little drainage where the barometric pressure is different you bugle and it echoes and then bang, all of a sudden you're getting responses.
1: Schooling the new guy here. Right, that's, <laughs> so, that's one that hasn't even come to the radar. yet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, and and it's it's like I said, when, when I started getting really serious about this, um, you know, because I really started keeping a journal and, you know, each night get back to camp while eating, I would I would write down in that journal on each page. I would write down the date, what the temperature was, what the weather pattern did, what I did calling wise, what type of responses I received, um, you know, what type of animal behavior I saw. And the cool thing about that is you start doing that and you may only have seven days to hunt, but you have seven days of information that you then read and reread and reread throughout the year. Then the next season comes along and all of a sudden you have seven or 10 more days to add to that. Now you have, you know, 14 to 17 days of information that you're continuing to read about and continuing to study That then all of a sudden, and and you know, it's always asking that why, why is this happening? Or why are they doing that? Or why this? And you kind of start to recognize things that then when you're out there, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, wow, the barometric pressure is 29 knocking on the door of 30. Man, that's pretty heavy. You throw one bugle and it's just dead and goes nowhere. It's like, okay, we got to keep moving. We, we got to go to a different pocket to, you know, change the landscape. Now, I'm not saying that you couldn't stay in that area and maybe something happened. Just my experience tells me the chances are kind of low. I'm going to go find another area that I have a better chance of success.
1: And you just compile that year after year after year and boom, it's 31 years and you're slaying them. Is that how it yeah, works? Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, well, I, I mean, and, and the cool thing is, is, you know, cause during, during the winter, you know, especially for a lot of states that have, you know, heavy snow, and maybe you don't have a lot of opportunity to get out and do things, but you're sitting there, you're reading through those pages And in your mind, you're just, you're replaying those days events over and over and over again. And you continue to read that throughout the year. Those things always stay fresh in your mind. And it's almost like sometimes you get out there and you get in a situation and it's almost like you have a mild case of deja vu where it's like, I've been here before. I I, I recognize what's going on here. I recognize, you know, this And then you start going through that roll decks. Okay. What did I do last time? Was it successful or was it not successful? Should I do it again? Should I not do it again?
1: So how do we prioritize the strategies, right? You you take all that information, barometric pressure, uh, north, south face of the mountain. Um, If you were to prioritize the strategies or the tactics going in, um, Mm -hmm. you know, one being, the greatest importance down to number five, say, where would you, where would you start and where would you end?
0: Mm.
2: Really? I I think that the number one key, and this is, this is, you you know, we always hear that you'll find the elk where the elk are. So why not hunt where the elk are? I mean, that's, that's really the, the number one key right there. Um, Really, I I think what goes into it is, you know, there's, there's, there's several factors. One is, you know, understanding the animals that you're, you're chasing elk, understanding, you know, their behaviors, their vocalizations. Then two, understanding them where they live. What do they need to survive? Um, you know, three this is, I, I got in this discussion last week or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago with, I, I mean, elk live in, in rugged country. It's tough. You have to be in some sort of shape. Now, am I saying you, you need to be able to go do a triathlon or run a marathon? No, you don't. Um, but you, you have to be physically prepared to go into those situations. So, but really the, the, the number one piece of advice that I could really give people is night bugling. That is what leads to so much success. And the reason I say that is because night bugling is going to tell you and show you where the elk are. And when you know where the elk are, it makes your job of finding those elk a lot easier. And it maximizes your time, it makes you so much more effective. But then again, we fall into that deal where we're night bugling, we get a response, and I'll tell you what, on a night in the mountains when it's dark and you're hearing bugles echo through the canyon, it is really tough not to continue to call back to keep that bugle and (laughs) going. I, I, I have made that mistake a few times. And next thing I know, I have elk that have come into me within 40 yards on a dark night that it's like, uh, how am I going to get out of here without blowing them out? So have learned that as soon as you get that one bugle, man, you mark the location and then you're, you're good for the next day. Right. Yeah. Move on and work them in the morning. And I think that's one thing because, I mean, early on, I was all about going back in. I was I was seven to eight miles back in and hunting the backcountry. And, I mean, it was great because there was nobody around. But then again, things evolved. Wolves came into the mix and it completely changed the dynamics and the landscape of that area back there. So... Then we stopped going that far back in and kind of having a base camp. But then it's like, man, what are, what are we going to do now? You know, we have new areas to learn, you know, what, are we just going to hike and call and cover ground? And well, the fact that we were now, now out in a base camp and I'm like, man, there's, there's a road system here. Why not use the truck to cover ground instead of our feet? And then once we locate then we can use our feet to get ourselves into that area and get on the elk and then increase our chances that way.
1: Right. So you're covering, you're covering a lot more ground Uh um, in that vehicle, you know, having that, that pick up and go option. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned being physically prepared. um, Yes. And that, that raises some, there's some, a few things that come up in my head, but with elk, man, that's not a small animal, Right. So, you know, getting in there, um, you you talking for me, at least when I hear that uh, safety, um, you know, the hunter safety. And then we're talking about ethics, man. Um, Yes. Being able to get that full animal that you just laid down out of there, man. Um, It's way to me, it's way more than just the ability to get in seven, eight, you know, 20 miles, if that's your desire. Um, But some of the safety aspects um with some of the stuff I've seen especially last year man it was crazy it seemed like I don't know maybe I had my eyes on elk um more than I ever did so I saw just a lot of a lot of guys injured and um want to talk about that what have you seen safety wise man taking those packs you know that deep in the backcountry
2: so you know I talked to, you know, with Al Calling Academy, I actually have students all across the the US. And I I see a common theme from people, especially on the East Coast, that, you know, they're like, okay, hey, there's four of us. We're gonna go out to Colorado. We're gonna, we're gonna hike in six miles and we're gonna set up camp, and we're there for seven days, and we're gonna kill four bulls. And I'm honest with them. I'm like, I love your enthusiasm, but I'm going to break it down into reality for you. And I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to go. So first off, you guys are going to get out there and then you're going to realize that the country is a lot bigger than what you had anticipated. And it's going to take you a lot longer to get those five miles back in. So now your first morning, your, your first half a day Is done, if not three quarters a day. Now you have camp set up. Now you have to spend a day, day and a half to even move around and find the elk in that area. Well, maybe there wasn't any elk in that area. So now you have to tear down camp and come back out. So now you're two, two and a half days down. Now you have to relocate into an area. Now another half day. So now you're three days in. You guys managed to find elk on day four. You get it broke down, but you have to get it out to take care of that meat and get it cooled down, which is going to take another day. So right there, you're five, six days into your seven day hunt and you only have one bull down. Backcountry hunting, I mean, the allure of it is really, really high in the industry right now. Because I'll tell you what, backcountry hunting for elk is is phenomenal. It's It's awesome but it is also a tail kicker that will humble you and bring you to your knees faster than you can realize. And I think the safety aspect of it is I really think there's a lot of people that are going into it with unreal expectations that get themselves into dangerous, dangerous situations. Now, the backcountry DIY is 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 a great, but why not get a hold of a guide and do a drop hunt? You know they're they're a lot more affordable. They're putting you into areas and dropping you into elk so that, you know, you can maximize your time, but you still have that physical aspect of it. And, and really coming from lower elevations to higher elevations, then you start getting into altitude sickness that again can suck, can suck a half a day or a day from you.
1: Yeah. If you're lucky that it goes away that fast, right? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah,
2: Yeah. Well, wilderness athlete has a product called altitude advantage that any anybody that's coming from lower elevations to higher elevations that's a product that I highly recommend that they start taking a few days before they, you know, head off to their hunt and get into that higher elevation. And it, it will definitely help with the altitude sickness. Altitude sickness is not fun at all. You will have a headache that I mean, guys that are heavy, heavy coffee drinkers that even go one day without coffee, that headache that they get, that's that's kind of what you experience with altitude sickness.
1: I've had it, man, and I think it's worse.
2: <laughs> it's no joke. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, But then also the safety feature, too, of... Um, I mean, there's so many things that can happen out there. I don't know how many times I've been working on an elk and sliced a finger or sliced a thumb or, or whatever. Um, I didn't, I didn't have a first aid kit with me. I'm sitting there ripping up game bags to make gauze and, you know, no tape. So it's pressure, you know, to try to stop the bleeding. And, um, you know, you talked about accidents. I mean, Dave Brinker this year, the freak accident of the arrow falling out of his quiver and the broadhead going into his calf. That Valkyrie, yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, there, there is a level of safety that, you know, you almost have to prepare for the worst.
1: And I'm actually, I'm kind of surprised to hear that you don't, that you don't have a, or didn't, I don't know if you do or didn't uh, have a first aid kit. Cause I'm a free oh, I do now. First aid kit, man. That, it amazes me. Who was I talking to? I was just talk- oh, Dan Trout. I was talking to Dan Trout and we were talking about that, um, a couple of weeks ago, man. And, and to go, especially pack it in, you know, deep like that to not have a first aid kit. I mean that, yeah, to me, that blows my mind.
2: Yeah, You know, and, and I think it's one of those things when, you know, we're younger, we have that mentality of, Oh, it's never going to happen to me. So, well, you're right. It's never going to happen to you until it until does. It
1: does. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So, so no, I, I, yeah, I have a, a first aid kit now. Um, you know, and I, I do, you know, I CPR certified and first aid certified and, and, you know, I, I renew that certification. Um, in my truck is a full blown EMT bag. And then in my pack is a field trauma kit. And there's a new product on the market called, uh, zip strips. And they're they're so cool because it's almost like the principle of a butterfly bandage, but it has these plastic zips that I mean you can close up a really good wound in the backcountry. So, you know, it's it's not like the old old days where you know Grandpa was saying just you know hey a little super glue and a little bit of duct tape and and off you go. So, right. no, so much more to it. So, but then also. Um, You know, really understanding your caloric intake and and what you need. In fact, I was talking about the, this weekend in, in Salt Lake, I tried, uh, um,
1: peak. Oh man, that's my favorite.
2: (laughs) You know, I tried them the first time and I I walked up and well, I got to the show and I was hungry and I knew I didn't want to go get the $7 nachos or hot dog or whatever. And so I saw their banner and went over and, um, I was like, Hey, I've never tried your stuff and had them, you know, pour a little bit of hot water into the chicken Alfredo. And I walked over to the backcountry e-bikes booth and we immediately sat down. The first thing we did was turn that package around. Let's let's read what's in it. And and I'm sitting there looking at the sodium level. And I'm like, man, I said it's it's got quite a bit of sodium. And, you know, talking with Brian and Dave, and they were like, Yeah, but when you're hunting, think about how much you're sweating and your body needs you know, that sodium back to replenish what you're sweating out. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I said, these obviously aren't meals that you, if you're a bachelor, these aren't the meals that you're going to want to eat at home every night of the week.
1: No way. You'd probably be 500 pounds with the, with the calories they pack in those little bags.
2: Oh, the calories, the protein, but, but yeah, I mean, understanding your caloric intake and what you, what you need with the amount of, you know, physical,
1: um, exertion there exertion that you're doing out there. Yeah. Those, those peaks, man, they, uh, I got one, I think that was before last season in those backcountry fuel boxes, and, uh-huh. uh, man, I fell in love with those things. I won't mess with anything else now.
2: Oh, that, that chicken, that, that chicken Alfredo was probably the best freeze dried meal I've ever had in my life. And I went over and talked to those guys and they, they gave me the granola and strawberries and they're like, here, why don't you have this for breakfast, breakfast. tomorrow morning oh, for your yeah. contest? And man, I ate that and I'm sitting here going, man, this is good in a hotel room. What is this thing going to be like on the, on the mountain, mountainside? Yeah. Oh, they're excellent, man. I love those things. Well, and then went back to talk to them again and you know they have four four dinner flavors and two breakfast flavors, but I guess on May 1st they're launching five additional flavors. And I said you guys better add beef stroganoff to your list cuz <laughs> if you do
1: that, you you got me hooked. Yeah. I love peak, man. That's a that I think that has to be, well, and it's just my opinion, but that's that's my favorite, man. I uh been to the other ones and yeah, I I'm sticking with peak.
2: Oh, I can remember, remember days early on since I was in the military. It was MREs when we were seven, eight miles back in.
1: And the only thing about the MREs, because most people go, oh, they're horrible. I don't mind the taste, but they're just so damn heavy for, you know, the MRE feels like it weighs like seven pounds, man. Yeah, they're heavy and they, they
2: block up my system more efficiently than beavers on a small creek. <laughs>
1: I don't yeah, I never paid that much attention to <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. But yeah, that's the only and I like I said, I don't mind them, but uh it's just their weight, man. That that just yeah. kills you, you know. Trying to pack enough enough for, you know, 4 or 5 days is rough. So, um what do we what are we missing? Right? Uh a lot of what's driven our current state, if you will, um, has a lot to do with marketing. Um, for me, I've always been a a boots on the ground type guy. Right. I've never really mm-hmm. relied on a lot of the media um, until recently with this elk undertaking. But what are we missing um, by being so heavily reliant on the media postings and, and YouTube and things like that?
2: You know, there's, there's a few things that I think are missing. First off, these, these are all great avenues to expand, you, you know, your knowledge. Cause you, you know, I, I recommend anybody that follows Elk Calling Academy, you know, go listen to Corey Jacobson and Elk 101. Go listen to Chris Rowe at Rowe Hunting Resources. Go listen to Paul Medell, you know, with Elk Nut. Um, because the more knowledge that you can gather from all these sources the more knowledgeable you're going to be which equates to the more successful you're going to be and and again i you know that level of success varies from person to person i know some people that their main goal is is every year to go out and shoot a 320 inch or larger bull other people, it's, you know what, a cow with a bow is successful in their eyes. And the fact that they are feeding their family every single year by by doing that. But by having that more knowledge, um, you're just going to be that much more successful that much faster. But also, I think the the one thing that's missing is that ability to just sit around in a group together and share stories and talk because we've all seen it on social media that you post one thing that is your view or your opinion. And you may all of a sudden have 10 people jumping on you because they don't agree with your opinion and they are flat out ridiculing that individual and tearing them down. And I I mean, there's, there's some pages that I absolutely avoid because that's all you see on them. And I think what we're missing is kind of the remembrance that we're all on the same team. We're all out there wanting the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're an archery guy or a muzzleloader guy or a rifle guy or a slingshot guy we all are out there to enjoy what's out there. And Hey, there's that, there's that LA sound right there. Yeah. You heard that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but no, the, the fact that we're all out there, we all have different levels of success and we all have different goals with what we want to accomplish out there. And just because somebody's goals don't line up with yours does not make them wrong, does not make them. Yeah. It doesn't make them a, a, a less of a hunter or, I mean, I know so many guys that shoot elk every year and they may be cows and they may be spikes or this or that. And I'll run into them and say, Hey, how was your season? And Oh yeah, I did this. And well, wow, I, I didn't see you post anything on social media. So I didn't think you, you know, this and, and they're like, no way, I'm not going to post it because if it's not this or this, because so many people are like, well, what do you think he scores? What do you think this? And I think Roger Raglan had the best explanation of, is that animal big enough? Roger basically said, if your if your pulse quickens, if your heart rate elevates and your breathing gets short and quick, he's big enough. That's it. That's right. Big enough. Or she's big enough.
1: So, yep. Two yeah. ears, two ears and 300 pounds of meat, man. <laughs> Who cares? Exactly. You know, it's, exactly. It's so, just, it's so funny too, right? Because as a hunter, you know what it takes to get out there and, you know, quote unquote, get the job done. Right. Uh-huh. To get, to punch that tag. And I've seen, and like you've said, I've seen some, some outright attacks and then, God, I mean, these are grown, grown ass men, you know, talking about each other's wives and kids. And it's like, what oh. in the world are you doing yeah. right here? What, What is, it just doesn't make any sense.
2: And, you know, I, I. I mean, I, I believe in in supporting brands that you love and that you believe in, but to ridicule other people. And some of these things that you read, you sit there and go, God, how is Fred Bear ever successful in his red flannel shirt? Right.
1: right. So, I mean, he, yeah, he's rolling over with all the crap that that you see, man. It, it's just it's insane.
2: Oh, I, I, I'm sure he is. I mean, and in fact, that, that video that I posted a couple of weeks ago from 2005, I've almost been expecting, you know, people to comment on that leafy camo wear that we're wearing. (laughs) Hey, we swore by that stuff back then. That's a cool, that's a cool video too. That was the most insane finish to a hunt I have ever been a part of.
1: And that was, that was, uh, what 2000, I think he said 2005 on that
2: 2005. Yeah. You, you know, and I had to laugh because, you know, a couple of people comment and they're like, wow, calls sure have advanced since then. Um, actually the diaphragm read that I was using is still produced to this day by Rocky mountain hunting calls. And it's still probably their top seller in diaphragm reads. The, the open read cow call was a prototype that is still in production to this day. The only call that's not around anymore is that grunt tube. And I so wish I had that grunt tube. In fact, at the calling contest, one of the peewees got up and they had that tube. And I, as soon as that young girl got off the stage, I figured out who she belonged to. And I went over to the dad and I'm like, I will give you 80 bucks for that right here, right now. And he's like, well, I don't use it, but she really likes it. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to take it from her. I'll keep trying to find another one. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> She's holding on to it like it's her teddy bear.
2: Oh, yes. Yes. Getting that, getting that big doe eye with a tear in the corner. And I mean, I felt about three inches tall at that moment and just kind of slithered back to the other side of the room to my seat. And
1: so that's funny. So one of the things that you brought up and one of the things that I've noticed with following you and l Colin Academy that I appreciate, man, is you're pretty, you're pretty neutral when it comes to, your gear picks, right. Or, or, uh-huh. you know, doing your, you know, you did your, basically your bow shoot offs, I'll call them. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, and to me, that's pretty important, right? Because it, it should amount to what is working for you. Or I like to say what brings you the best value in the woods. Uh, right. So you want to touch on that for us and talk about, you know, a little bit about the gear picks and, and why it's important to be, I guess, open-minded to something. Well,
2: I, I think first off is, is the thing that we need to understand is there are different, you know, there's different gear available at different price points and not everybody is in the same category financially. And so one thing that I really wanted to do without calling Academy was just give good, honest pros and cons to help people make better buying decisions. So I'm not going to talk negatively about a company. I'm not going to talk negatively about their product. I mean, I'll I'll give pros and cons. And yeah, I have my favorites. Um, But I think that kind of staying as neutral as you can really, really helps because I've gotten a lot of feedback from people that they're like, wow, we, we, we haven't found this any place else, you know, any place else you go, it's, well, this is the best and this is the best and this is what you need. But I've gotten into discussions with those people. And so you, you brought up the bow reviews. I was not prepared for the onslaught of <laughs> the brand ambassadors and lovers that are out there and if your opinion does not line up with them heaven forbid here comes purgatory so (laughs) but i you know but it was really cool because i will discuss with anybody and, and they can feel absolutely strongly about the brand and i remember talking to one individual And they were like, this is, this is the best brand ever. I, you know, your video is wrong and your, your thought process is wrong. And, and I said, okay, obviously you love this brand. Well, yeah, it's the only bow I've ever owned and shot. And I said, wait, wait a minute. The only bow you've ever shot. And I said, have you ever shot any other bow before? Nope. I love this. It works for me. It's the best. I said, Okay. So that's almost like me telling you that vanilla ice cream is the best ice cream in the world because that's the only flavor I've ever eaten. And he goes, heck no, mint chocolate chip is the best. And I said, I don't know that. I've never eaten mint chocolate chip. I've only eaten vanilla. And then all of a sudden he stopped mid sentence and he goes, I completely understand where you're going with this. <laughs> I said, if you're going to claim that something is the best, you need to have something to compare it to. So, and that's what I'm trying to do with these, these gear reviews is, is, you know, find two products that are fairly similar, test them both give pros and cons to each to help people make those decisions. Because I'm, I'm the type of person that when I'm looking at gear, man, I'm analytical. I'm going to go to Google and I'm going to type in what that is. And I'm going to type reviews and I'm going to start reading and I'm not just I'm not just going to read the first two or three results. Oh no, I'm going to go two, three, four pages deep and get, because if you search enough, you're going to find information on both sides of the fence on pretty much anything. Anything. Yep. And so that's, that's one of the things that I really want to do with Elk calling Academy with the gear is kind of be that one place that you could come to and get honest decisions. Unbiased. That, unbiased. What, Well, and the thing is, is these are not products that these companies are sending to me. These are products that I'm buying with my own money. So, and I think that's important too, because when something is given to you, it skews your view or your opinion about that product. But if you have money in the game, you know, if you're an actual consumer, if you walked into a store and paid full retail price for something and it just fell apart the moment you got home, you are going to feel very strongly about that. But if it was given to you and it falls apart when you get home, yeah, no big deal. It didn't cost me any money. Who cares? So, and that's part of it. Why? I mean, this year, you know, I've been a Black Creek guide gear user for years. I love Sandy. I love John. And in fact, in that video from 2005, that's a Black Creek pack that I have in there. This year, I'm going to be wearing an initial ascent pack and Bryce is going to be wearing the Black's Creek pack. So it's going to be a great opportunity to test both of those. And the nice thing is because Bryce and I have a similar build, we can trade packs back and forth and really do some good testing and do those comparisons. But then again, you have all those equations and factors that pull, you know, fall into play about different body types and different statures and different styles and, and, you know, all that stuff. And so, so yeah, it's, it's just trying to provide the information to check off enough boxes to help people make buying
1: decisions. Right. No, that's a big deal too, man. Like I said, that's one of the things that I really appreciated um, was it came from an unbiased place and, and, That is, I'm going to call it unusual in today's, you know, climate with, with the heavy marketing. And like you said, the, I'm not trying to insult anyone, but the ambassador thing, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's almost, and you said it, you know, what you need, it's almost not what you need. It's what, you know, what they're telling you, you need, I mean, there's a big big difference in that when you pack into the woods, man, it, that's, uh. A lot of the stuff yeah. we carry, you, you know, until you start learning it, there's stuff that's in that pack that'll never come out the bottom.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's one great thing. And I, I'm a gear guy. So, I mean, any excuse for me to get gear and go out and play with it, Ooh, rock on. Yeah. I'm all over that. So, but the other cool thing about, you know, this, this sport that we have is, Is there are so many options and so many different styles and so many different approaches that, you know, I know a lot of guys, they love a 5,000 or 6,000 cubic inch pack. I'm more of that 25 to 3,000 because I learned a while ago, if I get a big pack with a lot of products, with a lot of pockets, I'm going to find things to To put put into those pockets. (laughs) So I may not need it. It's but going. dang it, <laughs> I, I, I am not going to allow an empty pocket. I mean, that's just sinful. So, I mean, <laughs> so <laughs> it's there. I might as well use it. it. Exactly. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, you know, that, that, that four and a half pound pack now all of a sudden is 16 pounds and you're like well it was light when I started yeah and it's not
1: even what I really need in there yet
2: (laughs) exactly but I'll but I'll tell you what any situation that you run into in the woods you probably have something in that pack that'll take care of it it. yeah yeah exactly
1: it's crazy man I've I have so much gear that just sits in, sits in Rubbermaid boxes, man. You know, you get that. It's like, what, what can I fit in there? And then, and I don't know that you realize you're doing it. I think it's almost subconscious. You know, you're in the sporting goods store wherever and you go, oh, that'll fit in that pack. Oh, I could use that now. (laughs) So, you know, there's $40, 50 bucks down the drain, man. You do that 10 times a year. You got four to $500 of useless crap ready for that pocket of that pack, man.
2: You know, and and then you're hauling those rubbermaids to to camp, and you <laughs> yeah. put them in the truck, and then you get to camp, and you take the rubbermaids out, and you may never even crack that rubbermaid open the whole entire time you're there, and 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 in fact, yeah, my my wife got me the the camp chef camp organizer for Christmas, and you know because I've always done the rubbermaid things, and so I started bringing in the rubbermaids to you know, put into this camp chef organizer and all of a sudden I'm popping the top on some of these Rubbermaids and I'm like, what exactly is in the bottom here? When did I get it? And how long has it been here and why? So I actually combined two Rubbermaids into that one organizer and I'm like, whoo, truck space. But then of course I'm like, Hmm, well, if I am a missing tote, what else can I put in the back of the truck And yeah. that? It's like us guys, if we see an empty hole, we have to find have to something to
1: put in there. Yes. <laughs> That's so. crazy, man. That's a heck of a cycle. Best thing I ever did for my hunting is I bought a Jeep. And I can't wait what was it? Not last year. It was uh two years ago. We we drove up to uh Shasta up in Northern California, me and a buddy, and uh we it was three of us were going and we had to take we had to take his uh tony's truck and then drew and i in my jeep i had stuff the back seats folded down and there was shit packed to the to the ceiling of the jeep and then the, the back of tony's truck was chock yeah. full of rubber maids man i don't yes. think we saw half of the stuff that was out that was in there no it's ridiculous no but but you're
2: prepared if the next ice age sets on dang it you, you, you you're <laughs> yeah, ready for you it oh, oh yeah you've got the clamp-ons ready to climb your way out of there so it's, it's ridiculous. yeah temp- temp may have never dropped below 45 degrees, but dang it. You're, you're, you're ready. So.
1: I started dumping stuff this year and giving stuff away, man. And it's just, it's crazy. The accumulation of stuff, but I guess that, you know, that the gearhead thing, that's a, yeah, that's a big thing.
2: You know, and I, I, I found a, a a I came across a product this last weekend over there in Salt Lake at the international sportsman's expo. It's, it's called the tailgate and go. Um or tng outdoor kitchen. And it's basically it's kind of derived from the old chuck wagon box principle, where you know all of your cooking stuff is all in this box, but it's pretty cool the way they designed it, that the lid flips up, part of the front flips down, and then it's a modular system that has all these cutting boards and internal storage but then you could clip a griddle on one side and and i mean it's just a really really cool product and i'm just i i spent quite a bit of time with those guys going man where did this come from and and immediately i was doing the rubbermaid thing okay if i since i eliminated two rubbermaids into that if i got this i could eliminate two more and now i'm only packing three or four things in the back of the truck instead of a dozen. You know, to go to camp, but I have everything that I need right there. I have everything that I need to survive. Yeah, it's crazy how it takes old, man.
1: I remember the days where it was just the backpack. I could throw the backpack in the truck, the bow or the rifle, go, and I'm good. You know? Uh uh-huh. And now it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get it back to those days. I think with this, uh, with this elk undertaking, man, it's helping me quite a bit.
2: You, you know, yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny. Again, we're going to, we're going to circle back around to that, that evolution. So early on in my elk hunting career, it was all about miles, man. I want, I wanted to be able to say I got 15, 20 miles in a day. That's, that's all it was about covering miles and was still successful. And then, you know, cause I always remember my grandpa telling me, slow down when you're moving through the forest, don't be in a hurry, slow down, pay attention. Well, you know, no, it's all about the miles because I know there's a bull bugling on the backside of that ridge. Then by the time I get to the backside of the ridge, dang it, he must've gone down and up the other side and he's over that ridge over there. Now I I know he's here. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going over these ridges until I find him. Well, as I've gotten older and have slowed down, it's amazing how much more game I see. And now I'm looking back to, you know, those, those cover mile, cover miles and immediately I'm like. Dang it. How many elk did I walk, walk by? by yeah. How many did I push out? And, and even though, you know, those older wiser hunters that we tap into that tell us slow down, pay attention to your surroundings and enjoy what you're doing. No, we're young. We know what we're doing. And while well, they're just saying that, cause they can't hike as far as we can. Well, no, they're telling basically telling us to hunt smarter, not, harder
1: so yeah that piss and vinegar will kill a hunt every time man so 31 years man that's a long time in the Elkwoods. uh uh-huh. i kind of drug out long there sorry <laughs> so give us uh give us the difference man i mean from from you know way back when um to now what are you seeing
2: so basically what it was like hunting in covered wagons to now motorized vehicles, <laughs> is that what you're getting at? Yeah, so. close to that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I realize I said long. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, you know, and that's one thing. I've, I, I've also been blessed to have had the ability to hunt different states. But kind of the the evolution that I've seen is, you know, first off, gear the way gear has evolved and become so much more efficient and lighter weight. Um, you know, it kind of goes to the whole bow deal. You know, when I was doing the, the Hoyt carbon at 4.1 pounds versus the Matthews at 4.6, I had several, several people go, well, I just don't want to pack that heavy of a bow. (laughs) Well, I remember when we used to have six and seven pound bows and we thought those were light for that day. And man, if that thing hit 230 feet per second, we were just dancing an Irish jig. But no, just, you know, the advancement in technology and equipment, but also kind of, you know, have seen the number of hunters and areas kind of grow as well. Um, and the way the animals behave has changed. I mean, you know, cause back then when I first started, calling was a new, new thing. Um, I mean, it was just barely, barely getting started. Um, and, you know, and, and the, it, it actually evolved from a turkey reed. You know, somebody wanting to emulate the elk and and imitate. And so so yeah, there is some advancements in the materials with calls. But I think one of the biggest things is the availability or access to information and knowledge. I mean, if you look at online with on X or Huntwise app or you know, go hunt, um, you know, you're, you're talking back in the day, it was on the telephone and actually getting out there and getting paper maps. And so I think with all of these tools that are now available, the opportunity for success is even higher if you're willing to really put in the time and be a student of the game
1: you lose a little bit though right I mean with all that and and it just as soon as you said it it struck me right when you're on the on the phone and and having to have that that personal interaction that personable experience there's just so much more value in that um than you know I and I'm not and I don't want anyone to think you know that that I'm saying oh no you know no YouTube no social none of that I, I love that stuff right I'm I'm on the Elk Calling Academy, right? I've done the Elk right. Nut and um, looked at Elk 101 and all that. But there's something that's just so much more, uh, a cliche sounding, but powerful with that personal experience and and right. tapping into those minds and, and having a conversation like you and I are having and, and really talking about the experience and, and chasing it. And it just seems to be so much more you gather out of that, man, than you know watching you I, know, 50 videos.
2: But I still think it's, I I still think that's a valuable piece of the equation, but you know, now the ability to do a little bit more homework that then when you do get onto that, so say you do pick up the phone and now all of a sudden you are on the phone with the biologist and you have a better understanding about the area, you have a better understanding about bull to cow ratios, you have a better understanding about, you know, the stages of of the rut. Excuse me. That your conversation with them now, you can get so much more out of it. You can get so much more information that it even makes that, that personal
1: interaction, that connection, even that much stronger. Yeah, I mean that's a, yeah, you could be a a bit more pointed, that's for sure. Uh-huh. Uh maybe I'm just a little too nostalgic, man. When I started this I wasn't uh like you said it was I'd wake up, you know, and and catch what I could on uh whatever channel they were showing, you know, Bill Dance and whoever was hunting down south and sitting in a tree stand.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and and unfortunately the first hunts that I actually got a watch were on vhs tape and uh i really couldn't understand why they were going out and tooting on these sounds and and making these sounds and these these elk were just running down the roads right to them and i mean that never happened to me when i was out hunting i didn't understand what was i doing wrong and well there's a little difference between calling elk on ranches and calling elk on public ground and so um, yeah, so definitely, you know, the access to all that information, um, but also to the ability to just watch elk. I mean, how many times have you ever gone to YouTube and just typed in bull elk bugling and just watched video after video
1: of actual elk bugling? Right. Not until... I started following Michael Batiste in the Hill Calling Academy. To be honest <laughs> with you, <laughs> I'm ne- I, so, to be honest, I never would have thought about it, right? Because it's that you know that quick ticket to success, if you will, right? Oh, I got to learn this, 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 and and just being so. And I'm speaking about myself being so random and scatterbrained with just trying to, you know, I, I got to make that sound. I got to make that sound, and I'm really not thinking anything else, and I'm not relating it to the years of deer hunting and the years of pig hunting. And it was a really, mm-hmm. a really weird thing for me, you know, after so many years to learn something new, like, you know, who would have thought, Right. you know, Steve
2: chapel and I were talking about that today. So, uh, I don't know if you know who Steve chapel is chapel guide service elk camp TV. Mm-hmm. So, um, he's been doing this thing lately, which is, uh, you know, on their Instagram page, which is the bugle of the day or elk sound of the day. And he, uh, I just, I love his chuckles and, you know, I sent him a message and I'm like, teach me your chuckles. A oh, wise and masterful one. And I'm like, great sounds. And, you know, he comes back and he's like, thanks, bud. Appreciate it. And, and I'm like, you know, I said, I, I just got done with the regional qualifier for the worlds and I've watched the video a few times and I'm already kind of starting to break a few things down. I said, but man, it's tough. And and he goes, yeah, he goes, we definitely are creatures of habit that we get stuck in that habit or we get stuck in that routine and it's really, really hard to change. And I said, you know, tell me about it. Cause I've done some of these sounds the same exact way." for so long now that even when trying to tweak it or, you know, a little bit, the, the muscle memory or, you know, that, that mental, um, just falls right back into the old way of doing it. And I love Steve. He's like, don't go changing too much. He goes, cause you know, I, I think you're a phenomenal, you know, an outstanding caller. And I'm like, wow, you know, Steve, that coming from you. That's a, that's a huge Good compliment. Feet, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's like, well, shoot, your first message to me was a huge compliment. And I'm like, well, then I guess we made each other's day and we might as well just go on with our day now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Said it right <laughs> so, there. I'm on a good note. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so you, but no, oh, oh, go
1: ahead. Oh, you did pretty good, right? Third place on the, uh, in the RMF calling finals, right?
2: <laughs> well, the third place was the, uh, the preliminaries and then went into the finals. There was five of us that went into the finals, And I I tied for third in the finals and then uh, Chris Pastor and I called off. We tied again. And so then we had to go to a one bugle head to head winner take all and and he ended up beating me in that. So in fact, I I joked about that um, because Damian Pagano, who took second, I helped him a couple of years ago in his first contest and he ended up winning the men's last year was Chris's contest and I'm kind of coaching him through the contest and he darn near won it. And I told both those guys, that's it. I'm going to stop helping people <laughs> in these contests because you guys jump up to pros and you start beating me. What the heck? Hey
1: man, that, is there anything better though?
2: Well, like I told him those, they can't do teach. I've, I've never <laughs> been able to win <laughs> a world championships, but uh, you know, Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I'm doing a lot more, you know, you know, so leading up to this weekend, I did some things that I haven't done in the past as far as, you know, getting prepared for the contest. I think that that really, really helped. Um, and so now we have the actual world championship finals in July up in park city, Utah at the RMEF elk camp. And so you can, you can bet your butt that between now and then, definitely going to be really, really testing a lot of different reads and really fine tuning and preparing. And I'm I'm going to go in prepared for this.
1: Yeah. I, I, I look at it, man. And I'm, you know, uh, maybe, maybe it's just, you know, the lack of knowledge or information, but I'm like, shit, they, they're all winners. I mean, it's just impressive, oh, yeah. man. Uh, what I have well, a, a hard time with is that, that low guttural sound, trying to get those, those challenges and everything. And that, that's what's, Yeah, that's kicking my butt right now. Oh, the, uh, the
2: growls and those, 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 those huffs, grunts and whines that I talked about in the last Patreon herd bull instructional video. Yeah. Those things are kicking my butt, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cause, cause what it is, I I mean, really, when you think about elk calling, it's almost like you're jumping rope, whistling, chewing gum, rubbing your belly and patting your head all at the same time. It's almost brain, brain overload at times. And you almost have to break it down into individual pieces and parts and then add the parts back together to create the whole. Because the way our, brain, you know, our brains are, are, are wired or the way they work is, you know, can only focus on so many items at one time. Well, if you're trying to do a lot of different things at once, it has a real hard time on focusing those. But if you break them down into those individual parts and then add a couple of the parts together and then bring that third part in, now all of a sudden the brain's like going, oh, okay, we're only adding one more thing. It's just like somebody learning to juggle. They immediately don't just start with six balls, throw them in the air and start juggling. No, they start with one, then they add a second and then a third and slowly add that into where they add all those different pieces and parts.
1: Yeah. Cause that's uh you don't realize it, right? I mean, it's it, it when you, when you just start off, like I said, that, that locate bugle, man, that's as, probably as easy as it gets, at least in my opinion. And then you start mm-hmm. trying to control the diaphragm and the tongue pressure. <laughs> and now I'm adding in these vocals. It is, man, it's something else. It's fun. There's, it drives my there's, wife and neighbors crazy, but man, it's a blast.
2: <laughs> there's a lot to, you, you know, and that's one thing that I am so blessed with my wife. So, cause she's been to enough calling contest and thank God she's not a judge. So <laughs> she's harsh, but in a good way. But years past when I've been down here practicing my routines, all of a sudden, you know, she'll open up the door and it's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She goes, "You're double clutching at the start of every single bugle. There's no variations. There's this. There's that." And then she closes the door, and I'm like, "Oh crap!" And then I'll get out my phone or something and record it. And I'm like, "God dang it, she's right." So, but it's it's nice having that in the house to to help because you know it, it goes back to what Steve said. We we are creatures of habit we are creatures
1: of patterns and we fall into those yeah that's uh uh, it's a blast man my wife Mm -hmm. yeah she's uh i don't know if she's actually patting me on the back but every once in a while she'll say okay that one sounded good (laughs) (laughs) she always tries to get me on her phone and i'm like get out of here with that
2: but you know that's that's a good thing Mm -hmm. because unfortunately a lot of times our friends won't be honest our friends will tell us oh yeah that sounds good meanwhile you know they're turning around rolling their eyes going take it away from him <laughs> don't let him bugle so but our wives oh no our wives they don't they don't pull any punches none, none they they flat out tell us how it is
1: I got the uh what is that the Phelps unrivaled the small uh-huh. YouTube when, uh-huh. when he released that and uh prior to that I just you know running Running around town in in the work vehicle, and I'm just you know ripping them one out the bugle. So now, as I'm sitting in this LA traffic, the windows are down, <laughs> <laughs> and you should see you should see some of the looks that I get, man. It is it, it, I I think I enjoy that more than the calling half the time. It is hilarious. I had a lady pull up, and I'm screaming. I actually was going down to the archery range, and I'm screaming on the bugle at the light. And she pulls up and looks at me, and Are you okay? <laughs> I I said, I will be in September, ma'am. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
2: You know, I I completely understand that because I remember um, when I was with Rocky, you know, Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls, we had finished elk camp in Las Vegas and we had the Hunt Expo in Salt Lake the very next weekend. And so we just drove from Las Vegas right up to Salt Lake. And he had this idea for... Um, this grunt tube that, you know, still had good sound, but could collapse. It's packable. And, and so they still sell it today. It's, it's, it's the selectable, but we grabbed pieces and parts from a hardware store and some of the other tubes that we already had. And we're in a hotel room in salt Lake building this thing and we're downtown salt Lake right down, you know, near the temple. And our hotel had a, had a two story high parking garage. Well, we didn't want to blow this thing in, 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 the hotel room. You know, I mean, we, we want to hear what this sounds like outside. So here we are downtown Salt Lake on the second floor of this parking garage, ripping on this bugle in downtown Salt Lake. Well, then we decide, well, Heck, it doesn't do any good if we're standing right next to each other. Okay, you get on the far corner over there. I'll get over here. You bugle on it a couple of times, and, yeah, that sounds good. Okay, here, let me l- let me have it so you can. And I peeked over the edge, and here is people down on the sidewalk just looking around because I am sure <laughs> this sound is just bouncing off these buildings, and they're like looking around, going, "What on earth what is, is that?" <laughs> so, so yeah, I understand completely with you in traffic. So, oh,
1: so much fun though, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just crack up when I when I get the looks. It's hilarious. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious. So 2019, man, what are you, what are you looking at? Are you doing anything out of state for your hunts or all up in Idaho there?
2: <laughs> you know, pretty much have just been focusing, you know, on Idaho, just because, like I said, um, the guys that I hunt with, you know, we're, we're a pretty tight knit group. And I really, I almost get more enjoyment out of their success and, you know, seeing them, you know, punch their tags. And so I kind of devote that time to everybody in camp, you know, everybody having fun and everybody sharing in on this success and, and filling as many tags as we can. Um, I did talk to, um, you know, Jonathan Alexander has invited me to come over and, you know, hunt Oregon with them and, if can, if can swing it, cause that one actually, you know, that hunt starts before Idaho does. So if can swing it and make it over there, that's kind of the plan is to go over and hunt with him a little bit and then come back over here to Idaho and, and hunt with these guys. And, you know, like I said, I've, I've hunted other States, I've hunted Montana, I've hunted Colorado and I have found just as much success right here in my own backyard in Idaho and the cool thing is I can load up my truck here at the house and in an hour and a half I'm I'm in elk camp. So yeah. um I'm not having to drive 10 11 12 hours and spend thousands of dollars. I mean don't get me wrong it's really cool to go hunt other states. Um I think just where I'm at right now it's it's more devotion to my hunting partners and their success
1: right that's important man and I'm, I'm envious i don't get to walk out of my backyard <laughs> <laughs> i have, I think i have 15 or 16 points here in california and i probably won't see that until i probably have another four years with with point creep and whatnot man
2: now is is, is that for tule Elk in northern california or well,
1: I can put in for whatever, whichever I want, right? It's just, uh, it's a matter of, you know, how that, how that area is looking, you know, on any given year. Um, Right. You know, so the points are wherever I want to place them, whatever I'm going to put in for the draw, but it's so limited here, man. It's a bummer. Oh, but I mean, the fact that you guys have the the Thule that aren't found any place else. Good luck in getting, getting that tag. That's the, that's the rough one. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm
2: sure. Cause I mean, tulis were actually not even on the radar until a few years ago. Well, it's, it's been more than a few years, but you know, there's a couple of outfits that, you know, did video hunts of Thule elk and, and I mean, just the country that they live in and they're just a, you know, completely different subspecies of elk. And it, and I think that kind of raised that allure with people going, Hey, you know, this is something unique. Um, But, I mean, you know, Roosevelt, you know, you have Washington, Oregon, and then you have the Rocky Mountains. And, I I mean, now you're even getting eastern states that, you know, the oak populations are transplanted and are thriving in some of those areas. There's some, some big boys going down already, too. Oh, Kentucky and Pennsylvania. I mean, it's just... And, and and I I made the comment a couple of years ago that said the next world record is probably going to come from Kentucky or Pennsylvania because, you know, you have these areas that have mild winters, that have tremendous vegetation, tremendous minerals. I mean, just the recipe for outstanding horn growth. So and and we might even see a shift change to where it it all of a sudden turns to where people from the west are heading east going to go east. hunt elk. Yeah.
1: That's hard to believe, huh? Those guys back there will really be messing with us now. <laughs> oh, yeah, they will.
2: Yeah, they will. It'll it, it'll be like some of the forums now. When you go in and hey, I'm going to Kentucky and no, you don't want to hunt here. There's no elk here I left. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah the so bob, Bobcats, Bobcats ate them all. Just, just go elsewhere. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's something. Well, I guess they do have bears in some of those states, but that that too is there's not a lot of um, predators out there, man. That's you know, no gonna gonna devastate any herds anytime soon.
2: No, that's that's why I said. I mean, um, you know, mild winters, uh, lower predator population. Outstanding foliage and minerals, and I I mean, it's just the recipe for success. That's that's why I said we're gonna we're gonna see a world record come from back that direction here shortly.
1: Yeah, I think I'm I'm gonna agree. I think Kentucky is gonna be uh, is gonna be chomping at that because I saw a couple out of Kentucky. I think that was last year that were just phenomenal bulls. Uh huh. So, um, what's on the horizon, man? For for L Calling Academy.
2: So, you know, we started the Patreon page, which is a monthly access, which you're aware of, you know, you're a herd bull on there. Um, From there, I'm waiting for the snow to get off the mountain so that I can go up and spend a couple of weekends and film all new chapters. I've got 13 or 14 chapters written down. And then you know, build, build the website out and put that e-course on the website. Um, cause with the Patreon being a monthly paid subscription, I, I've gotten contact from a lot of people that they would much rather just pay an annual subscription and, and get access to that. But the one thing that, that, you know, I want to do with the Patreon and also the e-course is, you know, give back. And, you know, we talked, talked on the gear aspect earlier. Well, that's, that's one way that I figured, you know what, excuse me, that's a way that I can give back. And so I've already set up quite a few giveaways. So first one is as soon as we hit 50 members, which we're at 45 right now, um, somebody is getting a ready to grow bundle from ready nutrients. Well, that's that's a hundred and sixty dollar bundle. Well, with the Patreon, if you're paying fifteen bucks a month, that's one hundred and eighty a year. So the smallest prize you have uh, ability to win is one hundred and sixty. So, um, and then we just we grow from there. Uh, we've got an initial ascent pack. We're going to draw a random winter floor once we reach a threshold. We've got a Black's Creek pack. We're going to give away um, a camo bundle from scree gear, uh, a brand new bow. Um, I talked with the guys from backcountry e-bikes that once we get to a level, you know, we're drawn one winner, one win- winner, and that person's going to get a $4,000 e-bike. Wow. So, I mean, so it's, it, yes, you're, you're paying for information you're paying for lessons per se. But you have the ability to get gear also. And, you know, we talked about these gear comparisons that I do. And remember those Rubbermaid totes? Mm -hmm. Um, No, I don't want to be filling Rubbermaid totes. So, you know, that's the other thing I kind of decided. Okay, so I do a head-to-head comparison with backcountry stoves. Okay, well, I don't need multiple backcountry stoves, so why not draw a winner and say, hey, congratulations, guy, you just won a Camp Chef Striker backcountry stove. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah.
2: So, so no, that's just part of what I want to do to give back for, you know, those people that choose to, you know, support Elk Calling Academy. Because honestly, without the support and the people, I'd, I'd have nothing. I mean, I would be very lonely on Wednesday nights when I'm broadcasting live. And I mean, here next week or week after we're going to start the live Q and A's for the Patreon members where, you know, that one as Patreon members, there's, there's no hold back any questions you ask and you're, you're getting answers to it And, and you're getting answers, you know, based on whether it's, You know, an elk hunting situation or a sound or a strategy or even gear. If somebody wants to talk about gear, shoot, I'll just, I'll give them honest feedback. So, so we got a lot of, we got, you know, a lot of stuff coming. We're, uh, we have a little bit of the merchandise and apparel now, which, um, you know, we started designing a couple of other t shirts and a lightweight hoodie and another hat or two. And, and so slowly, you know, bringing the merchandise into as well. So, so that's the big focus right now, the website and the, the lessons. And I've got some really cool things planned that nobody has seen from any of the other outfits, you know, that are that are teaching the elk hunting and elk strategies.
1: Nice. What, man, what did you forget to mention in all that? I'm, I'm actually a little bit I'm a little bit hurt right now. Why Wappity Wednesday is available on Western Contours every <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. Oh,
2: oh, well, you you said future. <laughs> See, that one's done in the past. It's already happened. No, the yeah, that is one thing that's really really cool. Is is you know when when I had thrown that out there because you know I had, I, I had people ask me you know hey is this available in podcast format and I was like well no and so many people were like well. I spend more time in my truck. It would be great. And then when I threw that out there and, and I mean, as soon as you messaged me, I knew where you were going, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, what, you know, what, what are you thinking? What'd you, what you have in mind? And, and I, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm honored that you would, you know, want to be a part of that. And so, so yeah, you grabbing the information from Wapiti Wednesday and, you know, putting that in a podcast format and launching that on the, you know, the, the ECA feature Fridays, so that even more people can get access to that information. Oh,
1: that's so awesome, man. It's been, and and it's just booming. Everybody's Is thinking, it? oh man, I've gotten, I've gotten tons of messages and yeah, that was a, a really good decision. And I'm, I'm glad we were able to uh, make that happen. And and i <laughs> tell you when, when I saw that post, I was like thumb over. Yes. And I said, hell no, man, I'm hitting that little, that little paper airplane down there. <laughs> Cause this is all gold. <laughs> I was like, this, this couldn't be any better if I can get this to go. I'm like, man. But I'm you know, on.
2: your, your timing was perfect because you know, with the website and building the website and I'm doing all that myself and you know, with the videos and the filming and the editing and everything else. And, and when you, when you made that comment, you know, that I was already pretty maxed on all that stuff, you know, Why not let you do it? And I didn't even think about that being a possibility until you approached me. And then I was like, you know what? Guy's got a good thing started here. I really like his podcast. I like his format. I mean, this is just...
1: Yes. Yeah, it was like a perfect fit, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. I Yeah, no. Definitely thankful that... uh, Me me as well, man. And it was nice because, you know, now... If I if I miss it, then, you know, the next morning or the next day, whenever I drop it audio, then it's just in the truck with me. It's it just there you it, go. It was just like next level. Right. I mean, just, you know, I, I have that platform that's that's helping me um, get to where I want to be in the elk woods. And mm-hmm. It was just like I said, man, it was like, you know, that that perfect fit, perfect fit. Man. Excited. It's to it's.
2: Do it. It's, it's just another resource and avenue. And, and of course, you know, okay. The thing that cracks me up is when I did the first t-shirt and hat, the messages I started getting. Well, are you going to offer it in long sleeve? Well, are you going to offer it in the hoodie? Oh, hey, the hat. Are you going to bring in a flex fit? Are you going to bring in this? Hey, are you ever going to create an app? Hey, have you ever thought about this? And I'm like, guys, if you want to send me your checkbook, I will give you whatever Whatever you want. want. (laughs) Because this is all stuff that's coming out of my pocket that, you know, somebody has to pay for this stuff. And I would love to give everybody everything that they want, but unfortunately it takes a little bit of time. And we've been, you know, I, I, am extremely humbled with the growth that we have shared and experienced, you know, since I started this, you know, like I said, a little over a year and a half ago. Um, I mean, year and a half time we're up over 11,000 followers on Instagram. I mean, you know, our YouTube channel, uh, you know, 25, 30,000 views a month. Um, you know, the Facebook, I mean, it's just, it's it's humbling, it's so cool and it's exciting all at the same time, but also underlying that is the pure terror of because <laughs> I am I I'm really one that wants to provide value and make sure that people are getting the most out of their time, and especially once you throw money into it with the Patreon page or you know, the e-course. That that's the biggest thing is making sure that the value is there and continue to provide that value with updates. Because we all work hard for our money.
1: Time is yeah, and the time and like you said, that that's probably our most valuable piece of the equation. There, man, and 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 not you know just saying it because uh, we're you know we're tied in with the podcast or whatever. But you know, for me, I wouldn't have done it if I if I didn't find, you know, the utmost value in it. And I told you that in Utah, man, it's just the way that you, that you instruct and are personable and bring, you know, that value and information to everybody. I mean, to me, man, it's a big deal. So, yeah.
2: Well, I think I, I think part of it too, is the, is the fact that, you know, we had the ability to meet in person and spend a little bit of time together there in Salt Lake and, and, you know, talk and and kind of fill each other out a little bit I think that's that was a big part of it had it been somebody that I had never met and you know sent me that message it would have been like "Hmm, you know what is what is this person about you know what's what's their goal what are they getting at but no the ability to meet you and talk to you a little bit and then you know, listen to some of your podcast and how you ran them and, and the message and the direction. I just, yeah, I think I, I, I just immediately knew it was a, it was a good fit and you know, everything happens for a reason. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So it does. So yeah, I had you- I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, had you uh, not needed the right size hat, you know, wouldn't have had that extra time to sit there and talk.
1: It was was fun. I tell you about that, right? up, I got the hat. I was excited. I got the hat. I was like, oh yeah, man, I went to put it on. I go, Man, I got a big old head. My hat, my hat won't even fit. So t- what happened, we were leaving the house. I told my wife, oh, man, I, let me go grab my hat. And I ran in and I came back out and she goes, where's your hat? And I said, don't fit my big head. <laughs> <laughs> and we came home later and I looked and I was like, oh, man, it's a smaller one. Okay, I'm going to send it back.
2: Yeah, a smaller one only goes up to uh, seven and a quarter. Yeah, you're going to tell l- everybody my
1: big head size now, man. <laughs> no, 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 no,
2: no, because because the large one actually goes down to six and seven eighths. But you know, it's it, it it's funny is so when I first ordered the hats, you, you know these these are the Richardson one fifteen that comes either that small or the medium large, and I was like, well, you know, man, this is you know going to fit a lot of people, and and I think it's going to cover a lot more sizes and. But I forgot to equate the male ego <laughs> into the equation. <laughs> into the <hat. laughs> so, because, you know, so many people, Hey, there's two sizes. Do you want a small or a medium large? And the male immediately goes medium large. Well, what's your hat size? Well, it's a seven and an eighth. Well, the small will fit that. He's, no, I need, I, I need a medium large. I, no, I, I don't need the small, so I'm almost out of medium larges, and I have a plethora of smalls that are sitting there. I actually grabbed the small. I love the way the small fits because I'm a I'm a seven and an eighth is is what I wear, and the small actually goes up to just over seven and a quarter. But, anyways, yeah, next next round I bring in, it's just going to be the regular Richardson one twelve. We're not we're not going to do the small or small, medium large. Short. You know, what's, yeah, because I think I might be sitting on these smalls for a little
1: while. What was the crack up too? So on the way back from from utah right so i was with uh the let them fly guys makana and johnny uh-huh. and uh you know we we talked to you for a minute and you know after after uh i broke off and you and i were talking and they hey you know who's that so we got back to the hotel that that night and i'm showing them and that uh, we had went over to the Phelps booth and I had talked to uh, Jason and brought Mac over there and said, okay, you know, this is what I'm, this is what I recommend. Right. And then he talked to them he got the pitch black, right? The new Uh three pack. So what is that drive? I think it was 13 hours back home with Mm. a guy that bought the pitch blacks (laughs) at eight o'clock at night or whatever time, right before the show ended and uh, 12, 13 hours, man, of uh, some of the <laughs> most god-awful sounds you can <laughs> imagine. 13 oh, hours yeah. on the road, man. Oh, it was something else. It was so much fun, though, man. So, yeah, we got uh, we got Mac, Mac excited about elk season and, and you know, awesome. calling on and he's been jumping on, on the ECA and then listening to the podcast with it. So it's pretty cool that that spawned from that, too.
2: You know, that is that is so cool. Um, it, it reminded me of a of a funny story that the first year I joined Rocky staff. Well, I'd only been on staff a couple of months. He flies me down to Portland, picks me up at the airport. And then we go down to um, Salem, Oregon, to a Sportsman's Warehouse down there. Big, big elk event. Show up and and I mean, there's some big names in the elk industry that are at booths for this event, and finish day one and go out to dinner with all these elk guys. And and I mean, these, like I said, these these were big, big names in the elk industry. I don't think I said more than three words at dinner that night. I'm like, at this group, I ain't saying a word. I'm I'm just sitting here in awe. But we but we get to the hotel, get ready for bed, climb into bed. Rocky climbs in the other bed and he says goodnight, turns off the light and all of a sudden he turns the light back on. And he goes, "Michael." And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "You're nervous bark." I said, "What about it?" And he goes, "It sucks." Turns the light off, rolls over, and I'm laying there like uh okay, is it pitch? Is it tone? So the next day for 6 hours straight, I just nervous bark. How's that one? Is that one better? How are we doing? <laughs>
1: So. I can imagine his pain, man. But so much oh, yeah. fun, man! So much fun.
2: Yeah. So so yeah, I I understand the uh, 13 hour car ride of the uh, cat with its tail caught in the fan belt, just getting ripped around yeah. and screaming.
1: Oh, so. it was hilarious.
2: So. But it was but it was one of the funnest, funnest trips you had, right? Oh
1: yeah that that was a great trip, man. It was a great trip. There was there was a couple hands that I wanted to shake while we were there. Um, glad I was able to do that. Um, I was able to meet Sydney Smith and I was like a stammering uh-huh. idiot when I met Sydney. <laughs> that guy just impresses the, the living piss out of me. I mean, he just, just so inspirational man. And just, you know, just down to earth and a real guy. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't pull that off too successfully. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a memorable trip, man. I got to shake your hand. I was looking forward to that and, it was uh, yeah it was awesome i really enjoyed it put me
2: put me in the same category as sydney smith man that's a compliment right there sydney i mean he is he is a phenomenal human being and you know i had the pleasure of meeting him i think it was last year a year before and just i mean that guy you're exactly right i mean motivator and, and and I'll I'll use him with my hunting partner sometimes because they know who Sydney is. You know, we'll be up there elk hunting and you know we'll take a break and they'll unloose the, you know the their boots and they'll be like, man, my feet are hurting. And I don't I don't know if I'm gonna hike that much more today. My feet are really hurting and I'll go, hmm. And they'll go, what? And like I said, I wonder how Sydney's feet are feeling. They're like, you're a dick and they'll <laughs> lace the boot back up and off we go and yeah. so so yeah i'll use i'll use sydney to motivate those guys from time to time
1: man so. check out uh so i just did an episode yesterday today's monday yeah yesterday with the gentleman uh from ohio his name is tate mm-hmm. hale and, i saw that oh my goodness michael yeah you wanna you want something to move you or move somebody uh uh-huh. yeah listen to that i mean it was it was absolutely what I needed to hear. Um, I I we recorded I think we started recording at uh, one o'clock our time. I finished recording with them in a couple of hours. And I immediately said, you know what? I'm dropping this episode right now. I mean, just unbelievable. That man is is he's uh, he's a beast of a man. I mean, that's the only way I could describe it. Uh, mm-hmm. And him and Sydney are going. He'll be in Utah this year with Sydney um, and Sean with uh, Treading Timber and Disabled Outdoorsman, Weston Jenkins. Um, man, just a phenomenal, phenomenal human being, man. So take a listen to that episode. Yeah, right? I will.
2: I'll, I'll start listening to it in the morning.
1: I mean, it was, he was leaving me speechless left and right. I mean, oh. just unbelievable. So, but yeah, man. um, So I chop on it or try to chop on it every episode, man. Um, Conservation quick, a one or two minute deal, you know, give us, give us your take and your view on conservation and the importance of. Oh man. I mean,
2: we all have a part to play in, you know, conservation. You know, we've, we've always heard pack it in, pack it out, you know, leave, leave the place, better than what you arrived at and you know we kind of talked about earlier some of the some of the changes you know that have seen and and i think that's one thing that i've really really seen especially here in the last few years even more so is kind of the lack of respect for the land from so many people But the one thing that I see is that constantly it's hunters who are portrayed in this bad light, but yet it's hunters are the ones that are stepping up and cleaning up these campsites and packing additional, you know, garbage out, um, you know, volunteering for winter feed stations, volunteering for deer captures, you know, Hunters contribute to conservation way more than just financially. I mean, the, the volunteer efforts is just outstanding. And I think that is a part of the light that just doesn't really, really get shown with, with hunters as much as I really think it should be. Um, Cause you know, there's a negative light out there and and it's not really, so a large part of the population is right in the middle. They're neither for hunting nor against, but unfortunately, you know, we have the counterparts to hunting the anti-hunters that really shed such a negative light. But really, if you look at those groups, how much are those groups really doing for conservation? Very little, if any at all. No, their main purpose and all their money is spent to take away, you know, our rights and in what we love. So, so the ability that so many hunters, you know, take, take advantage of those volunteer opportunities and help with conservation and, and, you know, help with wildlife management. It's just, it's, it's awesome to see. And that is another good thing on you know about social media is you know, those stories that get told. Um i mean, how many how many times have you seen here recently of hunters that found a calf with his leg trapped in a barbed wire fence? you know, they're going out there and helping that animal get out of that fence so that it does have a chance to survive. Um, but more so than that, just what they're doing on the land to help clean up the land and not tear the land apart. So yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. We, 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 definitely, we definitely take a higher road than most when it comes to it, man, you know, both financially and, and physically and with time, you know?
2: Well, and part of it too is, is, you know, how we interact and and how we engage. Um, You know, there's been a lot of discussion lately about the decline in hunting numbers, you know, because um, a large part of the hunting community is now getting that retirement age. And so, yeah, hunting numbers are starting to dive off. But I read an article last week or week before that millennials... Millennials are really getting into knowing where their food came from and where it comes from. And they're actually getting into hunting because of Stephen Ranella and the things that Stephen's doing. And that millennial group might actually be the group that comes out in force and, and gives the strength back to hunters to, to continue, but you know, there's, there's bad apples on both sides of the fence and and you see it quickly on pages across social media where anti-hunting groups will come on and attack individuals and some of the things that they resort to that you'll see people in the hunting community that, follow that same level and start going right back. And it just reminds me of my grandfather where he said, never getting into an argument with an idiot because those people that are on looking will have a hard time of telling who the actual idiot is. (laughs) And so, and, and that's all part of it. And I think instead of taking the puffed up chest defensive manner, I think opening the ability to have a good, conversation now granted i know there's it's not going to happen with everybody um but i think taking that higher road and just the education and just really having that good dialogue which is one thing that is just missing today in society as a whole right right
1: yeah that's that's a big deal i mean some of those conversations can be difficult but Again, it's, you know, deflating that pumped out chest and, and being able to turn away from it, you know, let the idiot yeah. be an idiot. Well, just swallow that
2: pride. Just, you know, and it's hard sometimes to really control the emotions and, and just have that conversation. But then again, we see that within our own hunter groups. Oh, yeah. You know, somebody, you know, somebody, you get to a trailhead early and you start walking and all of a sudden, how many other people come in right behind you and start walking a hundred yards behind you up the trail? You know, that doesn't do anybody any good. You know, if it, and that's another reason why I really like the, the base camp and the ability to get, you know, jump in the truck because it, it gives you that ability to go several miles in different directions so that if you do get to a trailhead that if somebody beat you there, good for them. Yep. They, they got there first. It's theirs for the day. I'm going to go find another place to where we're not crawling all over each other and we're not hampering or hamstringing each other. Have an enjoyable day. And maybe tomorrow, if I want to go hit that trail, maybe I need to get up 15, 20 minutes earlier. Only have one cup of coffee instead of two. So. (laughs) That's it,
1: man. Well, I, uh, man, I can't say that, uh, I have been, uh, happier to have someone on man i uh, have a ton of admiration for you man and i i love what you're doing um yeah thank you thank you Great. oh no
2: thank you i mean i'm i'm honored to honored to come in these these you know podcasts are are, are still new to me I'm, I'm still kind of a rookie on these but it's it's you know the ability to sit down and and you know talk to somebody like you that's just as passionate and share stories and laughs. And I mean, that's, that's all part of it. It's, it's, it's almost, it's almost like we are that days of old where there's a group of us sitting around a campfire, just sharing stories and laughs and, and and, and enjoying this opportunity that
1: we all have. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about, man. That's why I started. (laughs) It's the campfire. It's the, there you go fire, man. That is it. I love it. So, but yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thank you greatly. Uh, I'll see you Wednesday, probably. Uh, Yes, sir.
2: Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Welcome.
1: You can catch up with Michael on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon at Elk Calling Academy. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.
2: Hi, this is Weston Jenkins with Disabled Outdoorsman founder of an organization where we choose and let individuals come in the outdoors we have many people across the nation that refuse to give up and our brand is going to represent them and now you can too you can go to our website at www.disabledoutdoorsman.com or you can find us on instagram at disabledoutdoorsmanusa we want you to be a part of the cause with us and let's make a difference
0: one day at a time